Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery. I'm Anon. So today I'm going to talk about how you can tell if your abusive husband is changing. And this is a really important topic for many women who are very interested in knowing if they need to set a boundary or hold a boundary or what they need to do. I'm going to be reading exclusively from the book, Why Does He Do That? by Lundy Bancroft. And let me give you some background on this book. So when I first went to the domestic violence shelter after my husband was arrested, I I didn't get a lot of help. I went in and I said, you know, I don't think my husband is a typical abuser. Most of the time he's very caring. He really cares about our family. He doesn't have any bad habits that I know of besides his pornography use and masturbation. Other than that, he doesn't play video games. He helps with the dishes. You know, I just I just went through and they they just kind of looked at me weird and like I w- they were very concerned about me and they kept saying, have you read this book? Have you read this book? They handed me the book and I said, and I just avoided reading it. I was kind of nervous. When I read it, I recognized that my husband is the typical abuser in many ways and that I was not necessarily the typical victim, but that I was a typical victim in a lot of other ways, that I enabled it, that I tried to, I fought with him, I didn't set boundaries, you know, there's a lot of ways. So after the do not contact order went on, they gave me specific things to look for to see if I could remove the do not contact order or amend it. I'm going to talk about that today and why I kept the do not contact order on. I will get to step five, which is talking about your character defects with your sponsor or another person and admitting them to God next week. That's really important and I want to go over that, but I did want to go over this first. So I'm going to read to you from Why Does He Do That by Lundy Bancroft. It's chapter 14, The Process of Change. He says, My 15 years of working day in and day out with abusive men have left me certain of one thing. There are no shortcuts to change, no magical overnight transformations, and no easy ways out. Change is difficult, uncomfortable work. My job as a counselor is to dive into the elaborate tangle that makes up an abuser's thinking and assist the man to untie the knots. The project is not hopeless if the man is willing to work hard, but it is complex and painstaking. For him, remaining abusive is in many ways easier than stepping out of his pattern. Yet, there are some men who decide to dig down inside themselves, root out the values that drive their abusive behavior, and develop a new way of interacting with a female partner. The challenge for an abused woman is to learn how to tell whether or not her partner is serious about overcoming his abusiveness. When I read this list, I knew I read this probably three weeks after my husband's arrest. And even though I had a do not contact order, I was hearing from friends and people who were interacting with him about what he was saying. None of these things came to light. And so I kept the do not contact order. So here is the list that Lundy Bancroft gives us. Number one, admit fully to his history of psychological, sexual, and physical abusiveness toward any current or past partners whom he has abused. Denial and minimizing the need to stop, including discrediting your memory of what happened. He can't change if he's continuing to cover up to others or to himself important parts of what he has done. From other people, the story was that we were fighting over a phone. That is not what happened in my mind at all. I was holding a phone, but he grabbed my hand and he pushed back my fingers and stared at me with a scary look on his face and pushed me against the kitchen cabinets. In my mind, I was if he would have said, give me your phone, I would have just said, no, I'm not giving your phone. We weren't fighting over a phone. Like he just grabbed my hands and sprained my fingers. He was purposefully trying to hurt my hand. And if in his mind he was trying to hurt me and get my phone, then 
that is what he thinks, but that's still abusive behavior. So just saying, oh, we were just fighting over a phone is not at all the correct situation. Um, number two, acknowledge that the abuse was wrong unconditionally. He needs to identify the justifications that he has tended to use, including the various ways that he may have blamed you, and to talk in detail about why his behaviors were unacceptable without slipping back into defending them. The letter that he wrote to my therapist, he had 60 points of things that I had done that basically were so terrible that kind of justified his frustration with me. One of the entitlements that abusive men have is that a woman's opinion is not valid, so she can't give feedback or cannot ask questions or things like that. Those entitlements of how he should be treated, quote-unquote how he should be treated, he was just listing all the things that he felt entitled to that he should not have to have a conversation about, which uh, is not true in, in relationships. We should be able to converse and talk about many things. Number three, acknowledge that his behavior is a choice, not a loss of control. For example, he needs to recognize that there is a moment during each incident at which he gives himself permission to become abusive and that he chooses how far to let himself go. In my husband's case, uh, swearing was the indication of abuse for me. If he started swearing, I knew that he had chosen to act in a way that was inappropriate because I'd asked him over and over not to swear. He said, oh, I just lost control and I just swore, but that is not the case. He swore purposefully to scare me or to try and intimidate me into allowing him to stomp off out of the house and not tell me where he was going or to get me to stop talking. Number four, recognize the effects his abuse had on you and your children and show empathy for those things. He needs to talk in detail about the short and long-term impact that his abuse has had, including fear, loss of trust, anger. He needs to do so without reverting to feeling sorry for himself or talking about how hard the experience has been for him. He needs to actually acknowledge how difficult the experience is for you. In my case, I have been abused and abandoned and divorced, then blamed for all of these things, that I somehow had something to do with it, rather than him realizing that my actions have simply been setting a healthy boundary. He sees my actions as trying to harm him, when really all I'm doing is holding him accountable for his actions and holding a healthy boundary until he's safe enough to have communication with, which he has not yet shown. Number five, identify in detail his pattern of controlling behaviors and entitled attitudes. I had asked my husband several times to do a step four, five, six, and seven about his anger, and he never did that. So this is a big one for me that I was watching for to see if he would do this, and he did not. Bancroft says, he needs to speak in detail about the day-to-day -day tactics of abuse he has used. Equally important, he must be able to identify his underlying beliefs and values that have driven those behaviors, such as considering himself entitled to attention, believing that men aren't responsible for their actions if provoked by a partner. Number six, develop respectful behaviors and attitudes to replace the abusive ones he is stopping. You can look for examples such as improving how well he listens to you during conflicts and at other times. My husband needed to demonstrate that he had come to accept the fact that I had rights and that they were equal to his. I had my right to my opinion that I could state repeatedly. I had my right to know where my husband was. To I had my right to the truth. I had my right to be treated kindly and to not be sworn at, to not be yelled at. 
if he's stomping out of the house or screaming and yelling or leaving at 10.30 at night and not coming back till 3, it was just complete and total chaos. Number seven, reevaluate his distorted image of you, replacing it with a more positive and an empathetic view. He has to recognize that he has had mental habits of focusing on and exaggerating his grievances against you and his perceptions of your weakness and instead begin to compliment you and pay attention to your strengths and abilities. This is another thing that I have not seen through the do not contact order. The grievances that he has against me now are that he's blaming me for his choice to divorce, you know, other things have are exaggerated to the point where he, I don't think he even knows who I am, which is sad. I have I'm very grateful that I have a good connection with God as I attend the temple every week and have my friends that his view of me is not in reality. Number eight, make amends for the damage he has done. He has to develop a sense that he has a debt to you and to your children as a result of his abusiveness. He can start to make up somewhat for his actions by being consistently kind and supportive, putting his own needs on the back burner for a couple of years, talking with people whom he has misled in regard to the abuse and admitting to them that he lied, paying for objects that he has damaged, and many other steps related to cleaning up the emotional and literal messes that his behaviors have caused. At the same time, he needs to accept that he may never be able to fully compensate you. Number nine, accept the consequences of his actions. He should stop whining about or blaming you for problems that are the result of his abuse, such as your loss of desire to be sexual with him, the children's tendency to prefer you, or the fact that he is on probation. In my case, the fact that we were separated, uh, blaming that on me, um, the fact that there was a do not contact order, blaming that on me, other things that he's blaming on me, rather than taking responsibility and accepting the consequences of his actions. Number 10, commit to not repeating his abusive behaviors and honor that commitment. He should not place any conditions on his improvement, such as saying that he won't call you names as long as you don't raise your voice to him. In my case, my husband would never commit to never swearing again. He would not commit to being kind. He refused to commit to never storming out of the house, screaming and yelling. He would not commit to those things. Lundy Bancroft says, if he does backslide, he cannot justify his be abusive behaviors by saying, well, I've done great for five months. You can't expect me to be perfect, as if a good period earned him chips to spend on occasional abuse. Number 11, accept the need to give up his privileges and to do so. This means saying goodbye to double standards, to flirting with other women, to taking off with his friends while you look after the children, and to being allowed to express anger while you are not. You know, I never really thought about this. Um, he was allowed to scream and yell and punch things and stuff at me. And yet when I would confront him with my feelings about his behavior, he would get angry again and scream and yell and punch things, but not necessarily be willing to listen to them. Although sometimes he was, but he would not respond necessarily in an empathetic way. There were times when he did, and I really appreciated that. And that's why I thought that he was improving. But as things escalated, this was not even possible for him. Number 12, accept that overcoming abusiveness is likely to be a lifelong process. He at no time can claim that his work is done by saying to you, I've changed, but you haven't, or complain that he is sick of hearing about his abuse and control and that it's time to get past all that. He needs to come to terms with the fact that he will probably need to be working on his issues for good and that you may feel the effects of what he has done for many years. This is one thing now that my husband, it's just the thought of me even bringing up his abuse or talking about it, 
to others, maybe to get help or the truth, just he can't stand it. He wants me not to say a word about it to anyone anymore. Uh, he claims that I am lying. So I know that he is not changing. That's another sign. Number 13, he will be willing to be accountable for his actions, both past and future. His attitude is that he is above reproach has to be replaced by a willingness to accept feedback and criticism, to be honest about any backsliding, and to be answerable for what he does and how it affects you and your children. So this really helped me know uh, what to look for. And I could see it very clearly from a distance, both in terms of just my interactions with him. Uh, there was no evidence of any of these things, even though he was legally able to contact me through my father never attempted to do any of these things. And as he talked to my friends, they reported back that he was not in a good place. One thing that abusers often think about change is they think, I don't mind changing some of what I do as long as I don't have to give up attitudes and behaviors that are most precious to me. And Lundy Bancroft says, at some point during the first few months that a man is in my program, I usually stumble upon the core of his privilege, like a rear bunker on his terrain. He may abandon a few of his forward positions, but his, this fortification is where he surrounds himself with sandbags and settles for protracted war. A client may agree to answer his wife's questions calmly and in a kind voice, just for example. But when Lundy Bancroft tells him that he cannot stomp out of the house screaming and yelling, that he actually has to keep engaged with a conversation that's uncomfortable, you know, he draws the line. The abusive man says, no, I can't do that. If being a respectful partner requires actually doing that, he'd rather remain abusive. Lindy Bancroft says, an abuser who does not relinquish his core entitlements will not remain non-abusive. This may be the single most overlooked point regarding abusers and change. The progress that such a man appears to be making is an illusion. If he reserves the right to bully his partner to protect even one specific privilege, he is keeping the abuse option open. And if he keeps it open, he will gradually revert to using it more and more until his prior range of controlling behaviors has been restored to its full glory. Abusers attach themselves tightly to their privileges and come to find the prospect of having equal rights and responsibilities, living on the same plane as their partners, almost unbearable. They resent women who require them to change and persuade themselves that they are victims of unfair treatment because they are losing their lopsided luxuries. But they can't change unless they are willing to relinquish that special status. Here are the signs that he is not changing. And these I also looked to to know that I needed to keep the do not contact order on. He says he can change only if you change too. In my case, my husband never even made an attempt to say that he was going to change or that he wanted to change or anything like that. There was no attempt at all. Uh, he says he can change only if you help him change by giving him emotional support, reassurance, and forgiveness, or by spending a lot of time with him. This often means that he wants you to abandon any plans you had to take a break from seeing him. In my husband's case, he kept saying, how can I fix anything if she won't let me talk to her? Because he needed to change in and of himself and make known to me what those changes were, that had nothing to do with me. So when he would say that to friends or other people, that was a clear sign to me that he was not changing. He criticizes you for not realizing how much he has changed. He criticizes you for not trusting that his change will last. And he criticizes you for considering him capable of behaving abusively, even though he has, in fact, done so in the past. 
Like, you're supposed to know that he would never do something like that, even though he has actually done something like that. Remember a text that said very clearly to me, he said that our son had told him that the reason why he was not in the home was because he was violent. And he said, where would he get that logic from? And I did not respond. His answer is, because you were violent, that is why you're out of the home. The logic comes from the facts. You were violent by punching doors, by screaming, yelling, punching walls, and that is why he gets that logic. It's not just something that we pulled out of the air from nowhere. He reminds you about the bad things he would have done in the past, but he isn't doing anymore, which amounts to a subtle threat. He tells you that you're taking too long to make up your mind and that he can't wait forever as a way to pressure you to not take the time you need to collect yourself and to assess how much he's really willing to change. This hit the nail on the head for me when I read that. Um, he wanted me to amend the do not contact order and asked repeatedly in different ways to get me to take it off rather than actually working toward change and exhibiting some type of, of example that he was changing. And the last one, he says, I'm changing, I'm changing, but you don't feel it. Lundy Bancroft says, to use good judgment and make wise decisions about the prospects for change in your abusive partner, you need to be honest with yourself. Because you love him or you have children with him or leaving him would be difficult for other reasons, you may be sorely tempted to get overly hopeful about small concessions he finally makes. If he doesn't budge for five years and then finally moves an inch, your exhaustion can make you think, hey, an inch, that's progress. You may wish to overlook all the glaring signs indicating that his basic attitudes and strategies remain intact. Beware of his deception and your own self-deception. I have heard such heart-rending sadness in the voices of many dozens of abused women who have said to me, I wish I could recover all those years I wasted waiting around for him to deal with his issues. Save yourself that sadness if you can by insisting on nothing less than complete respect. For me, that's what these months of separation have been, demanding complete respect for myself, trying to watch what he would do to see if he would come up with these plans on his own or exhibit any of these behaviors. I am really excited, actually. I didn't want to focus on this today necessarily because I'm super excited to get to steps five, six, and seven, which have helped me immensely. One of my character defects over the years has been denial, and another one has been control and fear and the desire to try to convince someone or to teach someone something so that they can improve their lives. It's not necessarily defective character, but in my case, it was because it took me out of serenity and it put my husband in my center rather than God. In this context, which we're talking about, of being able to observe these behaviors in someone else, knowing that we cannot control those behaviors, what do we do to focus on ourselves to keep ourselves safe? There was no way I could control those things in my husband, no way that I could get him to, to take any of the steps on that list that Lundy Bancroft suggested. All I could do was be in a safe place and observe at a safe distance. I think it's really important at this point to focus on our own recovery, but also be very knowledgeable about what behaviors we're looking for that keep us safe. We need to make sure that we keep ourselves safe emotionally and physically, and I did not do that before, and that's the only thing we have control over. And I'm so grateful to Heavenly Father who just ripped me out of my unsafe situation and gave me a way to set a boundary that I could then keep 
to keep myself safe. Without that, I I would still be in the same situation because I was not strong enough and I genuinely love my husband. Today, I wrote him four notes and I knelt down. I prayed to God and I said, please, I surrender these because I don't know. I, I can't do anything about it. And all the notes said was, I love you. I want you to come home. I want our family to be whole. I do not want a divorce. I'm working on my recovery. I'm working on myself. I'm attending the temple. I have been faithful to you this whole time. I've been faithful to God and I've kept my covenants. And I really wish you well. Like, I'm not trying to harm you. This was the best chance I had for our family to stay together to really set this boundary and to hold you accountable for your actions. And his decision since then have been to divorce and it breaks my heart. It's not what I want. I want a healthy, happy family. But I cannot control that. I've been surrendering over and over to my sponsor and trying to get God back in my center. So today I'm ending with a serenity prayer Sending this out, genuinely hoping that God will grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as the pathway to peace, taking as heeded the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, and trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. I'd like to thank all of you who have rated the podcast on iTunes. The more ratings we get, the easier it is for women to find this podcast and to get help. So if you haven't done a five-star rating yet, I ask you to go and you can do it anonymously so nobody will know and that will help other women find this podcast. Also, if you have listened and you think, you know, I need help, please visit SA Lifeline. There are meetings online and there are meetings in person and you can find that at salifeline.org. 